Good morning, good morning. Breakfast today is sponsored by Stephen Rappaport. On the occasion of the high holidays, for success in everything. Breakfast is also sponsored by Kevin Rosen in honor of the Kahal, wishing the entire Kahal Hatzlacha. Rabotai, the Pasuk says in our parasha a beautiful line. It says, Umal Hashem and God will give literally a brit milah to your heart. Now that first of all sounds incredibly painful. But besides for the, uh, the physical challenge of having a brit milah on your heart, the idea of the uh, brit milah uh, on your heart is carried on by the end of the Pasuk. Umal Hashem God will give you, He will do brit milah on your heart and on the hearts of your children. In order that you love God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, for the sake of your own life. Now, one of the things I think which is fascinating about this is the, the uh, expression and the language that's used here is very evocative uh, in order to specifically drive home a point. And what do I mean by that? It sounds as if there's no way to love God unless your heart has a brit milah. What does that mean? And then the outcome of that is in order that you should love God with all your heart and all your soul. That means that that level of loving God, of connection to Hashem requires uh, a milah of the heart. To get rid of the orla, if you will, the, uh, the excess uh, of the heart. Now, I'd like to express what that means just for one minute. Amen. We are aware that in the, in the mitzvah of Brit Milah, there's a, a fascinating idea. When the mohel comes and removes the orla in a Brit Milah, when he removes the extra skin during the circumcision, one of the ideas that's brought is that the place where we do a brit milah is the seat of desire, okay? To remove an element, a piece, an, a, a drop of that desire is, is the idea of a brit milah. So when God comes to Abraham and says, you say that you want to be with me, that you want to live a life which is divine, that you don't want to live a life that everybody else in this world lives, what's required to live that special life? What's required is that a person needs to give up a little bit of their desires. Is that clear? Does that idea come across clear in the Brit Milah? Now, it's true that that is an expression in one way with regards to the human being, but it's most expressed on the human body in the area which itself speaks most towards the concept of desire. Giving up desires, therefore, on some level, curbing desires, not your enthusiasm, but your desires, on some level, is a prerequisite for living a godlike life. Not to run after. Not to turn after your heart and your eyes, but rather to live a life which is beautiful. Now, having that information now allows us to look back and to see these words in a new light. The point of a Brit Milah, even though it sits in a place of a person's manhood, 
But the, uh, the deeper idea here is not about necessarily only uh, a sexual desire. It's about everything involved completely. In fact, there's an idea called <clears throat> the Ta'anit, a fasting, the Ta'anit of the Rosh, the fasting of the Rishonim. What was the fasting of the Rishonim? They didn't fast every single day, but you know what they did? They ate their bagel. And you know when you have that last piece of the bagel, you're holding it between your little two fingers, and you eat, that's the most amazing piece of the whole thing. You have the shawarma, there's that last little bite, end of the shawarma, end of the falafel. Remember, if someone asked you, I used to love this. When I was a kid, they had this horrible, horrible minhag uh, uh, that, you, that kids would use on the bus. I don't know if any of you remembers this. Baruch Hashem, it's a terrible midah that has been eradicated from our people. It was the midah of ends. You'd be drinking a can of freezing cold Coca-Cola on a hot day. And right as you were going to get to the last bit where you tip up your head and reach back for that last swig of cold Coca-Cola on a summer's day, some kid would yell that dreaded word, ends! And you'd have to give him the last bit in the can. Because they called ends. I don't know if you remember this. This was around in my childhood. But that end, that was the last... That was the best part. Our Chachamim tell us that when a person leaves a little bit on the plate, it's as if they fasted, they didn't eat the whole meal. Because controlling yourself on that last bite actually illustrates that throughout this whole period, although I enjoyed the food, but the food was not in control of me, I was in control of it. I decided that I was gonna give away this piece and that little element of control in, illustrates this point. My rabbi drove this idea home with a very beautiful and succinct point. He said as follows, all throughout the holiday of Pesach, we learn about how terrible hametz is and what hametz represents, represents the Yetzirah, and therefore we eat matzah. He asked in class, he asked us, if that's the case, how come after we finish Pesach, we go straight back to hametz? We should eat matzah, the whole year round. I said to the rabbi, Dachilak, seven, we, seven days ruins my digestive system for the entire year. If you give me matzah the whole year, I don't even know what's going to happen. I'm never going to be able to put on tefillin again. But rabbis, la, la, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the, the point he made is that after a person engages in matzah, removes themselves from hametz, then they can now go back into that world and engage with it in a healthy way. It requires that withdrawing from in order to be able to get back in healthily. Our world is a world today of connection. We're connected to our phones, to the internet, to social media. We're all the time back and forth in this, uh, in this fake world instead of the real one. But experts now today are saying that there's this idea of digital detox, that people, they recommend that a person at least once a week should disconnect from their phones in order to not be swallowed up in this virtual world and to still retain the connections in the actual one. And what's fascinating is that then on Sunday, you could go back to your device because once you decide and you say that I'm in control of this as opposed to it being in control of me, a person can have a healthy relationship with it. That's what it means when it says, Umal Hashem in your heart of heart, your seat 
the place of desire, where you decide what you want, what you, uh, what you are jealous of, what you will chase after. That place needs a milah, it needs a little bit of restraint. I met a man who was a very wealthy man. And he said to me, he said, Shlomo, you know, whenever I go, whenever I go traveling, he says, I call up the hotel and I ask them, what is your second best room? When I bought myself a car, he said, the Rolls, the one, the, the Phantom, that was the best one. So I walked in and I said, what is your second best Rolls Royce? When he bought his Rolex, he went into the store and he asked him for the second best Rolls I said, what are you doing? Like I, the guy is thinking that he's such a sadiq because he, he didn't take the presidential suite, you know? He took the vice presidential suite, you know? <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't go for the king bed, he went for the queen, like, Azaku Baruch, you think you're someone of great... And then I thought about it for a minute, I thought, he's absolutely right. If God gave him his money, God intended for him to enjoy that money. There's, you're not supposed to get money and then live like a pauper. You're supposed to enjoy it. So here's a guy who he never does anything that's best. He always searches for second best. That means that on every single purchase, on every single acquisition, on every single rental, there's always that little brit milah, the mal Hashem et levavecha. And he's always remembering that there's a higher purpose for my life and for my money than just chasing after my, uh, my, our desires. Every single day, Rabotai, in the prayers, we say this idea or a version of it. We say, Petach libi b'toratecha. Open my heart b'toratecha with your Torah. Now, the Hatam Sofer points out that the words Petah Libi indicate that if I didn't pray for it, open my heart means that what is my heart before I pray? Closed. Says the Hatam Sofer, the default state of the human heart is to be closed. Close to others, close to spirituality, close to forgiveness. The default state. And we got to beg God, Poteach, Right? Excuse me. Petach libi. We have to beg him for the keys. Why? Petach libi. And what are the keys to a person's heart? Petach libi. Petoratecha. If a person finds himself selfish, unforgiving, running after their desires, what's the answer to that problem? What's the antidote? Our rabbis tell us, in If a person is beset upon by his yeser hara, and he can't escape. He's in a situation <clears throat> where temptation is great. What should he do? Drag the Yetzirah to the Beit HaMidrash. Michila. I'm sitting here at work. I have an opportunity for one little fudging of a number to tell the guy, you know, a little bit of a white lie to present him maybe the financials of my company in one way. And just to admit, I'm not even going to lie. I'm just going to admit one tiny detail. Or I'm going to present, there's a book that I have in my house. I never read the book. It was gifted to me by somebody. I never read the book because I didn't want to read the book. But I kept the book. You know why? Because on the back of the book, it has the title of the book. And I want that book in my library. Not to read. Just to read the spine of the book. Now you know how they say don't judge a book by its cover? This is the opposite. The only thing I want from this book is... It's cover. You know what the title of the book is? That every time I go to my bookshelf, I look at the other books, I should see the title of that book. The title of the book is, 
how to lie with statistics. It teaches you how to lie with statistics. You know why I think that's so important? It's so important. Because if you're in a position of influence, of education, you can use many times Torah however you want to. You could use your influence however you want to. You could use your wisdom in business however you want to. I knew a guy who was offering to mentor the best and the brightest. And all the best and the brightest came to him. Why? Because he has such experience. Do you know what he did? He took every opportunity of every good job and every smart entrepreneur. And what did he do? He basically, because he had the money and he had the know-how, he locked them out of their own product. By being an early investor with very tough terms, he would mentor them so they'd come with their ideas. He'd choose the ones that were good ones. And then what did he do? He used his wisdom and his mentorship and his advice to screw over the other person. That's what we mean when we say on the holiday, we say, Someone came for a bit of advice and what do we do? We turned, took the opportunity to advise them in a way which is beneficial for us and not beneficial for them. It happens a lot of times, Rabotai, in families where someone, you know, wife is asking, kids, what do you think is better? Should we go here, go there? And you're not thinking what's better for them, you're thinking what's better for me. But how do you present it? You, you present it as if, I think you'd rather go here. Now we all think we're so clever. We weren't honest. We weren't a truthful broker of information. So what are we being told over here? A person is in a situation where they can very easily manipulate, turn other people, mess over other people. What does the Torah say? Get on the phone with your rabbi, go on TorahAnytime.com, learn Torah.com, you know, your website of choice, learn some Pirkei Avot. Why? Because that will open your heart. You can't mess somebody over, you can't hurt somebody if your heart is open. The only time you can do that is if your heart is closed. And you know what the end of the Pasuk says? Most people think that the end of the Pasuk is like the beginning. The beginning of the Pasuk is a request. Hashem, please open up my heart with your Torah. The end of the Pasuk, people think, is also like the beginning, a request. And also, run after my, and my heart should run after your mitzvot. Rabotai, that's a mistake. It's not a request, it's an outcome. If God listens to your first prayer, then the second thing happens by itself. When your heart is open and someone comes to you with a, a request, Shema Israel. I got a request a couple of days ago. There's a family whose father has passed away. The mother's struggling, a single mother, to be able to help the kids out for the holiday. She can't buy shoes for the kids. Is there anyone who knows anyone that can help out just to buy shoes for the holiday for these kids? What are we, where are we? It's unbelievable that this is in our world, in our proximity, okay? Now, when somebody comes to you and your heart is open, what do you do? Your heart runs after the mitzvah. Hashem will, your heart is closed. What's the only way to get in? To cut a piece. 
And once the piece is cut, then there's an opening, there's an, uh, uh, an, ex- an exposing of the heart. Rabotai. You know, there's a famous saying that goes, <clears throat> talks about the cracks in people. The, the problems, the pain, the suffering, the difficulty. And the line goes, you know, don't worry about the cracks. Because that's how the light gets in. Every time a person recognizes, feels one of their own tzarot, something that they felt that they went through, that little crack in their, in their life, in their heart, in their soul, something very uh, difficult that they went through, that same crack for you is the mal Hashem, is the opening of the heart that also lets somebody else in. That becomes a doorway, an exposed part of the self which is not closed off to others. Rabotai, we have an unbelievable chance now during these great days. There was once a man walking down the street and as he's walking down the street along the river in this town, he sees that there's a boy floundering in the water. His head comes up, he spits out of the water, he goes under again. The man doesn't think for one second in his suit, in his tie, in his pocket square, shoes, dives over the bridge into the water, pulls the kid out, swims to the shore, CPR, pumps the kid's lungs, gets all the water out. And all of a sudden the kid coughs, (coughs) and the water comes out. Turns out, who's this kid? Who's the kid? The kid is the son of the king. The king is overjoyed. The king is crying tears of gratitude. He says, please, come to my house. I want to say thank you properly. The man changes his suit, his, wears his, his finest, goes to the palace of the king, and the king says to him, um, I know you were on your way to work this morning when you saved my son. My son is the most important thing in the world to me. Nothing else matters. In order to reward you, I know that it must have cost you an extra few hours. You must have missed a couple of meetings. He says, I would like to give you, I'd like to give you the hour, the hour and a half that it took you to be able to get in the water, save my son, go back home, change your clothes, you know, go to work. I want to give you that hour and a half in my storehouses, in my treasure houses. Whatever you can grab and take home in an hour and a half is yours. The man hasn't had breakfast. The man is weak. He's just swam, performed CPR, you know. Does he say no? Of course course not. He's running around like a maniac. He's grabbing diamonds and pearls and cash and art. And every time he's running as quickly as he can out with his arms full from the storehouse outside into this box that the king has prepared for him, the carriage that the king has prepared for him. And he's stuffing the carriage. Finally, one hour, one hour 10, one hour 20, 25. Hazit, the guy, his fingers are bleeding. Okay? He's... (laughs) He can't breathe from all the running, Hazit. Back and forth and back and forth. He doesn't stop. And finally, one minute, 29, 58 seconds. He's got two seconds left. He runs back to the thing. And the guy says to him, you're never going to make it back. 
And he runs to the storehouse and he grabs the Hope Diamond. And he goes like this. And he throws his best pitch from the diamond and he throws that lamp from the storehouse. He throws that last one right into the door of the carriage. And with that, the door carriage and the door closes. Rabotai, that is this time. Borei Olam gives us such a limited amount of time, but we're tired. Silichot and this, and batich, and checking the tefillin, and checking shatnez that we're going to have next Sunday, okay? You have to check our clothing for wool and linen. So someone has sponsored that in our synagogue. Come bring your suit, especially the one that you're going to wear on Kippur in front of God. God forbid you come to the synagogue with the Shadnez suit like it's called Tovel V'sheretz Biado. You're in the mikveh while you're holding on to the, to the Tameh animal, okay? What a beautiful opportunity to grab one more and one more and one more. And there's two seconds left to hatch it. Just go to sleep. No! I'm going to see one more, see if I can grab one and throw it. I don't even know if it's going to make it in, but let me try. That is what these days are. When our hearts are open, God gives us a gift during Roshana, Seretimei Teshuvah, Yom Kippur, that even the furthest Jew, people still come to Shul on Roshana. I remember being in England and people would be in synagogue on Yom Kippur. And you know, Yom Kippur would be over and these people spent one day a whole year in the synagogue. One day, and you get home after the holiday, and I go to check on to you know my Facebook and type you know Shana Tova to everybody, and you see that everybody you know is posting all throughout Yom Kippur. Oh, I'm so hungry. I'm starving. <laughs> One day. One day to do it right. To put the phone away, not to wear the shotness, to come in immaculate because you have the best of opportunities to grab treasures. Your whole year is in front of you to grab a year that you want. Rabotai, listen, if that same person, and here's the me that sees all this positively, he's someone who even on the day of Yom Kippur is on Facebook, is on Instagram. But you know what? You'd think that that guy wouldn't come to shul at all. You'd think that that guy who's moaning about being hungry, if he's typing about it on Yom Kippur, right, you'd think he wouldn't bother to fast. But he is. He is fasting. That is the gift that God gives us on this day, that he opens our heart, even if we're not. That is the, the, the opportunity that we're facing. Whilst our hearts are open, whilst we have this opportunity to return to Hashem, to chase the mitzvot, to grab more, one more opportunity. May God bless us, Be'ezrat Hashem, with the Shana Tova Mevorechet.